0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing The Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Monday, October 29th, The Washington Post hosted a conversation about the upcoming film A Private War with lead actress Rosamund Pike and director Matthew Heineman. The biographical drama depicts the life of American foreign correspondent Marie Colvin, who was killed in 2012 at age 56 while covering the Civil War and humanitarian crisis in Syria. Marie Colvin's sister, Kat Colvin, also joined the discussion with Pike and Heinemann. Washington Post Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Mary Jordan moderated the conversation. She spent 14 years abroad as a foreign correspondent herself and as washington post co-bureau chief in tokyo mexico city and london let's listen
1: well good evening Um, my name is mary jordan and i'm a national correspondent for the washington post and i've also worked around the world in about 40 countries um, and having done that, um, nothing goes well or perfectly overseas, so I, you, we just kind of gave you a little of that tonight. There's always the unexpected. You go somewhere and then you end up holding there for four, four days or it's a 1,000 degree heat. So again, thank you for your patience. It's a great honor to be here on the stage, uh, and congratulations. Yeah. Was not an easy story to tell. Uh, first, want to introduce Kat Colvin, the sister of Marie Colvin, <laughs> and Matt Heineman, who directed the, directed this amazing movie. And, and I know you don't know who this is, but uh, <laughs> we have Rosamund Pike, the star. <laughs> We're going to talk for a little bit, but I also want, to, uh, want you to know that you can send your questions and they'll get to me um, on this iPad. Just send it to hashtag a private war. Um, I guess first I, I wanted to say as um, a journalist, and here we are in the Washington Post building and a lot of us knew Marie, um, that just like she said, the most important part of this movie, I think for journalists watching it, is that she wanted to tell someone else's story. It was about the people, the victims, the people that were starving, the unfairness. So it's always a little awkward when the journalist becomes part of the story. Um, And so just on behalf of Marie and all the journalists who do this, we just want you to know that it's really the joy of this movie, and I can even say joy, is that it gets out that there is an ongoing problem in Syria. Um, and so, thank you for coming. Thank you for doing this, and let's let's get to that. Um, so, what, why don't we start here? Is when I'm when you were trying to take on the persona of of um, Marie Colvin, you said you said this very interesting thing. You said I had to be her at all times, which meant carrying her in my body and in my bones. Talk about that. About how when you wanna. Become somebody else on stage so powerfully. How do you do that?
2: It's funny. You just made me think that you, for people who aren't actors, it's it's actually what an actor wants to do too, which is not make yourself the story. You know, really, really, what, what we do and why I do this is because it's a sort of escape from yourself into an intense focus on somebody else. You know, and maybe I, maybe that's what drew me to this story in the first place. You know, maybe there was a sort of kindred spirit feeling a, a bit. In, in that our, the purpose is to get yourself out of the way and, and, and give over to, to a kind of compassionate understanding of, of somebody else. Um, I think I've played people who've lived before. I have never played someone who has died so recently. Um, and her, Marie's death is obviously extremely painful still to everyone who loved her and knew her. And so it was a huge undertaking, and, and one that I, I at times, um, felt that I would fall short of, you know, and, and, and felt that maybe I might give up on the challenge. Um, and I think having Matthew as, a, as, a, as our director, and he, he comes from the documentary world, I knew that. That there was only one way into this, which was to become as full an embodiment of Marie as I could. You know, which is it was a challenge because I'm I'm younger than she was when she died, and I'm English, and you know we're we're very different. But but that's my job, and and I felt that I just wanted to sort of shed every vestige of my own physicality, my voice, um, my hair, obviously. Um, you know, and, and approach it with. With the idea that with a skillful team around me, I could transform. I heard that
1: you actually put an eye patch on and were walking around Jordan where some of this was shot in the Middle East, right? Yes. What was that like? I mean, what were you trying to do at that point?
2: I suppose I was was trying, as with all the parts of of trying to embody Marie, was, was feeling what it would be like out of the security of the film set. You know, alone and navigating busy roads where you know people do not obey traffic signals as they do maybe here or in England. Um, you know, navigating uneven sidewalks and um, and, and does it really throw happens. your balance? It throws your balance, especially on a vertic- on the vertical plane, which is which made sense then of of lots of footage I'd seen of Marie after she lost her eye and especially in low lighting, she would she would look down more than more than other people would. Um, when you saw it, did you say?
1: Was there a, the first time you saw the movie? Was there a moment in there where you thought, "Oh my God, that's Marie." No, was that there...
3: probably the first scene with, with Rosemund? I thought she really captured what Marie, Marie's appearance and mannerisms. Um, there were a lot of funny things that, you know, the film was obviously a serious topic, and it was about her career primarily. Um, but there were a lot of fun things about Marie, even, you know, hijinks with the eye patch, you know, like lighting her hair, lighting her nose, or trying to pour. Um, but Marie had such a sense of humor. You mean lighting this because
1: she was off op- with a can't, cigarette? She
3: couldn't oh. see. You can't judge the distance well when you just have one eye. So she was always joking about, you know, lighting her nose on fire. <laughs> or, um, You know, there were some scenes with Marie's humor, but when I think of Marie and even when I when I see Rosamund playing Marie, and I think of the stories she'd come out of <clears throat> that we saw some of here, whether it was East Timor or Sri Lanka, she'd have you laughing about it. You know, it, 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 She had such a black sense of humor. Um,
1: so she would come out of places where people were dying and it was so difficult. And she'd come back for Thanksgiving or she'd holidays? She'd come back for holidays. Thanksgiving was it, or vacations. Was it hard? Could you tell that, how hard it had been?
3: Well, I she shared that with me, and I knew I knew how how that abrupt change was really impossible. In fact, you know, I after a while I said, "Why don't you just come home at a different time?" Because it, it's very hard to just be normal after you've just seen a friend blown up. Um, you know, they showed Norm here, but. She had an NGO worker who she was very close to who was killed. And coming from that and then you know, to a big family dinner and a Norman Rockwell scene was not really possible. It was very, very difficult to make the transition so abruptly.
1: And, and Matt. Um- Congratulations. I, you know, you can tell you're from the documentary film world because it just looks so real. All those street scenes, I mean, it's just, you really were able to capture what it looks like. And I think that's given you great power. Um, and that's why it's so powerful. But can you talk about the process? You know, it took you over two years, right? And how did you research kind of what, what went into making that?
4: Um, a lot. <laughs> um, first of all, thank you all for coming in. It's, its I have to say it's a bit emotional for me to be here because my my mom wrote for The Washington Post for about 15 years, so it's uh
1: Christine Russell. It's, yeah. yeah, it's
4: nice to be here. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, my, you know, my background is in, in documentary film, obviously, and so when I first read an early draft of the script, um, there are parts of it that, I liked in the parts of it that didn't feel authentic to me, and so I spent about a year uh, researching as much as I could, reading everything I could about Marie, um, everything that she wrote. You know, getting to know her friends and her colleagues, getting their trust. um, Just one
1: second there. You could have picked so many different topics. What was it that you read first that said, "I got to do this"?
4: I think, you know. Whether it's a film I did on the Mexican drug cartels or a film I did on these activists exposing what ISIS was doing,
1: oh, the, all the happy stuff. <laughs> yeah,
4: I've I've similarly felt that draw to cover these stories and, and to be in conflict zones and similarly come home to New York and, and felt that strange bizarre feeling of being at a party. Um, so I, you know, I just I just very much empathized with her and her experience and I think for me it was a very personal film. Um, But also, obviously, in the world that we're living in today, um, I think it's so important to be celebrating journalism. I think it's so important to be celebrating people like Marie, people like many in this room, um, who are standing up and and fighting for the truth. Um, For me, the film is not just an homage to Marie, but it's an homage to journalism. and I think tragically and sadly, you never know when a film is going to come out. But um, with it being released this Friday, it's I, it's you know horrible. <laughs> uh, the, the record state.
1: numbers. Um, it's not just our friend uh, Jamal Khashoggi, but uh, record numbers of journalists all around the world are getting killed, targeted specifically because of they're just trying to tell the story of other people. Um, some people in the room may remember the actual broadcast that was there at the end of the film that Marie made before she got killed. Um, and can we talk about that? So th- this real broadcast existed. It wasn't that long ago. So how did you go about recreating the scene? And then I want to talk to you about how you, again, you, you just played her so well. You, the accent alone, how, you know, how did you get that so perfectly?
2: Shall I go first? Well, Marie's voice was something that everybody commented on. I think everybody everybody loved, you know, her whiskey tone and 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 her, you know gorgeous throaty laugh and um, and just the way she understood the power of words. I think that was the first thing when I first watched a a, a video of her of her speaking. I thought, well, this this is so cool. You know, this is a woman who's not appealing for any kind of attention. She's just letting the words do the talking, and she knows that her words are incredibly impactful and. And it 's not just the accent it's 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 the rhythms of her speech that I really loved and wanted to get inside of um, um, but 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 the final broadcast was was interesting because peop, many, many people heard it, and obviously the only image of Marie was that was that um, you know portrait that stood in the corner of the screen and and that was combined with the footage that that they showed of, of the young baby dying. so in fact it was a rather amazing thing to get inside. What was behind that calm, composed tone that was so powerful? And you know, she she used the word lie on TV, which was a big moment. Um, and she was absolutely, you know, severe in her judgment on Assad. Um, but because Paul Conroy, who Jamie Dornan plays in the film, was with us on set every day, he was really able to create that room for us and create that moment and. And I think it's all the more extraordinary that broadcast because they were under fire. I mean, the building was shaking, there was debris falling. You know, the connection was vulnerable, and Marie kept her cool and delivered that, you know, searing indictment of of the lie that Assad was propagating.
1: And what you heard in the movie was pretty much what she said.
2: Pretty much, yeah. Under that kind of
1: circumstance.
2: And it was it was it was wonderful to kind of take that in and then you know make it extemporaneous as as you know it was it, it wasn't a written speech it was it was what was coming from the gut so i had to swallow it all and then have it come out of me as as it was just you know the memory of what we'd witnessed and because matt is so wonderful at creating a reality in the days leading up to shooting that scene we'd shot the clinic we'd shot that time where i go and interview the women in the in the basement the one basement that was in Homs where all the women and children were sheltering um And I'd been with members of the FSA, the Free Syrian Army, and the guys who played FSA fighters had been uh, were all from Homs, as were, I have to say, pretty much all the background cast of our movie in the Syrian section were, by and large, people from Homs who Matt had interviewed and found to play in the movie. So by the time I came to that broadcast, my mind and heart were full of something probably very akin I just want to go to that point
1: again—that that you used actual refugees in Jordan who had come from Syria. I mean, again, this is unusual. That was that was, a, that was very unusual, right? So they weren't actors, but they were refugees playing in the movie.
4: Yeah. So we shot we shot London for London, and then all the war zones in Jordan, um, Sri Lanka, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, Libya, and Syria. And for me, it was extraordinarily important not just to. Try to, you know, be authentic to who Marie was, but to try to make these war zones as authentic as possible. And a big part of that for me was finding, casting, interviewing for weeks and weeks and weeks um, refugees who were all from those various countries who were living in, in Jordan. And so, you know, when in the scene in the mass grave, when when Marie discovers the mass grave, you know, those those Iraqi women were. Um, you know, reliving real trauma that they lived in, in in Iraq, and you know that moment at the end of the scene when they start chanting, pounding their chests, and chanting—that was a prayer for the dead that they just happened to be doing um, because of the deep emotion that they felt that day. And it wasn't
1: scripted. Wow! It wasn't
4: scripted at all. Wow. And yeah. you know, in the when Rosman walks into the widow's basement and interviews those two women, you know, they weren't reading off a script. Those were their own. Real stories, those tears were real tears. Um, and that's, you know, the second woman, when she says, I don't want this just to be words on a paper, I want the whole world to understand what we're going through. You know, there's a whole generation that's been lost. Um, you know, that, that's her speaking to, to Rosamond, obviously, but that's yeah. her, her speaking to all of us.
1: So when, when uh, Marie says that we, the, the personal stories, like when you hear that there is starvation in Yemen, it's one thing. But when you get there, like Tyler Hicks of The New York Times did and had those photos on the front page of The New York Times, it's a whole other thing. And so the authenticity and bringing the personal story is so important. But I do want to ask you, Kat, about at what point um, does it just become kind of a death wish or irresponsible I mean, what did the family think? You know, she was literally walking through fire. You know, what is the line of, yes, it's a great thing to do, but you do want your loved ones
3: to come home? Well, I think the the amazing thing about Marie is that she never lost her optimism. She never lost, you know, you heard a line in the film, but she never lost her faith in humanity. And it wasn't a death wish. It was a desire to bring the word in a way, to people in a way that would get them to respond. And Marie was, you know, it's hard to believe watching this, but Marie is very humble in many ways. And she thought if she could just write better or describe it better or bring it home to people that the world would pay attention and um, and do something about it. And, you know, for her, Syria, she had, she had a, you know an ability to make a snap judgment about a situation. So how dangerous is it? Is it worth going in? And she knew very well that that she might not be making it out of homes, but she cared enough, and she believed enough, um, you know, in herself and in and in all of us, that she thought it was worth it. Now, you know, I. In terms of how my family felt, um, we, we were all different. I personally always thought she was an invin- invincible.
0: Mm. You know,
3: I talked about how she'd come out. It wasn't the first time that she was in, you know, a near-death situation, and people didn't think she would get out, and she always did. And she always came out with a great story and had us all laughing about it. So I was sure she'd get out, even after I saw, um, you know, when I, I, after I heard she'd been killed, I didn't actually believe it. I was positive. She'd be calling me and saying, oh, you didn't believe that, did you? I got out. You know, I. Um, it took a invincible. while for me to really believe um, that she was gone. Um, my, my mom, uh, uh, as you would probably imagine, was worried all the time. And so Marie stopped telling her where she was going. Um, so it, was, it got to be too, too much as my mom got older.
1: Yes, that's what many war correspondents, including my husband, does. He never tells his mom where he's (laughs) going. Um, You know, we're talking about the PTSD of what she saw was amazing, and there's a lot of war photographers and others who've done that. But what about the secondhand trauma that you've just been through? I mean, do you feel that this was you? You just became Marie Colvin, right? And you, through the lens, were how do you? I mean, that's a pretty intense thing in itself.
2: How did yeah, I th- well, I think my job is, is, is tricking your mind into believing a situation is very, very real. And I think if you get it right, then your body does respond organically. And your body doesn't know it's not real. I, 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 I'm, the more I do of this job, the more I'm understanding that. And I think that's part of it. And obviously, always, your mind knows it's not real. But I think that chemically, your body responds Often as if it is. So, you know, your heart will race, you'll sweat, you will feel tightness, you'll feel flooded with emotion, you'll feel bereft. You'll, it, 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 it's a cocktail of emotions that you're playing with as an instrument, I think. Um, um, I, I might feel a bit like Marie felt at times, which is where, what is your place? You know, there's no doubt these things make you feel, but it's not your grief to feel. You know, when we were out in, in doing some of that, um, the work when we were cover- representing Syria in, in Jordan, some of these people's grief was 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 very, very hard to bear. That the, the, the man who, when we recreated the footage that Marie showed on CNN of the baby dying, the, the man who brought in the child was a, was a man from Homs who had had his nephew shot off his shoulders um, and watched that child die. And when he came in and saw our baby, or carried our baby in, and, and the doctor said that it, the child wasn't going to make it. He he knows he was overtaken with something more powerful than I think what he'd anticipated to feel, which was his. You know, his pent up everything, rage, grief, total loss, and, and it was it was so chokingly hard to be in the room with. Um, and I felt confused and, you know, whether I questioned Matt as to whether what we were doing was okay. You know, and he reassured me that, you know, if you're after the truth, you know, yes, your human instinct is often to walk away and give someone space, but, but your obligation as a seeker of truth or a filmmaker or a documentarian or a news reporter is to, is to keep watching, keep, keep looking. Um, and, of course, you think, well, this is not my pain to feel, and yet you do feel it, which um, gave me... A certain number of clues as to what Marie must have carried home with her every time.
1: What did you admire about Marie the most?
2: Well, I mean, actually, her humour was a sort of wonderful, wonderful quality, and you know, Paul Conroy shared that so often. I mean, it is actually, you know, one of my regrets is that you know we have those snapshots, but uh, you know, I I would have liked more of that, maybe. also, just what a romantic she was. That's the th- other joyous thing, is she was such a romantic, and, and, and kept this wonderful positivity, despite all the, the hardship and suffering she was exposed
1: to. Well, the most positive thing I can say yeah. is that it's terrific that this you know, powerful creation that you've done will bring more light to what's going on in Syria. And I think that's everybody in this building, and probably a lot of people in the audience, you know that you cared to come, is that there's a lot of things that need to be covered that are getting more difficult to cover because of leaders who are um, making it difficult for people to. Take sure. pictures and do so. I'm um, congratulations. I thank you. I thank the audience for for coming tonight. And if you'd like to watch or share any more of this conversation, which the Post has had up on their website, you can go to WashingtonPostLive.com and you'll see um, our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: I think the other thing I, I always I felt very strongly having played Marie is that there's often this idea of the fearless war correspondent which now I really understand that true courage is is something different it's you know there was no doubt that Marie felt fear and was often extremely scared and went to the places she went anyway and for me, that is, you know, true courage. Um, and I think, you know, that that will be an abiding kind of lesson to me from this. Is is, is the battle she daily did with fear. I think
1: the the title Private War. How did, why did you decide that?
4: Um, I think you know for a variety of reasons. I think for me, you know, I really wanted to explore um, both what what drove her and what what haunted her. And I think. You know, PTSD is something that's it's quite real for poor correspondents, for anyone who's been in combat, um, and it's something that I hadn't really seen depicted too well on in, in film, and so exploring that—that's
1: um, that, another terrific thing, and especially in this town, where there's so many people that have served in the military. Uh, but again, I uh, I just want to thank you and thanks for telling the story. In the end, this is really about what's going on in Syria, and the victims there, and in Yemen and in other places in Saudi Arabia, and to our friend, Jamal Khashoggi, he yeah. and all the other people that have lost their lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
2: you so
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.